0: Hello and welcome to the Negroni Talks podcast, brought to you from East London and supported by Campari. Set up to be lively, provocative debates on issues around architecture, the Negroni Talks are hosted at the Venetian restaurant Ombre in Hackney and organised by Architects 4th Space with the assistance of Rob Fain and Bobby Jewell. The Talks are designed to emulate the opinionated and convivial free-flowing debates found in the fandes Ecla European Café Society being fuelled by food, drink and particularly Negroni. There's no stage, no standing on ceremony and the audience are asked to participate as much as invited speakers and the chair for the event. These recordings are presented as they happen live and like the talks themselves with no frills and little or no editing to bring you the arguments of the evening, direct and unfiltered. Due to the coronavirus lockdown and the temporary closure of Ombra, this talk was hosted as an online event via Zoom so that we could continue the Negroni Talk series as planned.
1: So without further ado, I'll um, pass you over to our co-host uh, this evening, which is uh, Joseph Henry from uh, Sound Advice. Um, and he uh, actually kindly chaired, uh, offered to chair this event um, and hopefully it'll inspire some lively and uh, provocative conversations. So over to you, Joseph
2: okay so welcome everyone to this evening's rebranded negro talks i'm the chair for this evening joseph henry <laughs> co-host of sound advice alongside puja agarwal now if you're expecting negroni talks you'll be disappointed as i am for not being sent any of the ingredients to make myself a negroni head of this event therefore the game i developed to start this evening to encourage some audience participation called is this racism or can you White explain it away has been cancelled and more importantly, this doesn't feel like a week for that. So real Negro talk tradition, I'm just going to talk to you directly for under four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like another heavy week. Another moment where people of color and women have to again publicly call for change. The reaction to Meghan and Harry's Oprah Winfrey interview and the heartbreaking tragedy of Sarah Everard's kidnapping and suspected murder. One thing that struck me this week, which hadn't occurred to me previously, or at least not with enough clarity, is that people are just calling for the people with the most power in society to stop acting like creepy fucking dickheads. Um, I'm sure that list of words could be much longer, but you get the point. So much of the reaction to Sarah Everett's suspected murder has been women pleading for men to change their behavior. Most of the tips that we share through sound advice, again, is us pushing for people to change their behavior. Surely this isn't that hard for us to do, or maybe we choose not to. So I wonder, maybe this seemingly immovable object of a better of better racial representation in architecture or society more generally isn't as complex as we are making out. Maybe it's really simple. Maybe we just need less dickheads in power. One of the tips we previously published on Sound Advice is maybe we know your diversity working group is cover for doing fuck all. So this is what I'm interested in uncovering this evening for this conversation. Are we wrapping this issue up in complexity as a way of slowing things down? And how come after all the conversation, all the allyship and commitments, when I look at the faces on my team's meeting screen at work, it's just as white as it always has been. So before I get hand the conversation over to our distinguished guests, maybe I could give you a taste of one of the scenarios you're missing out from, is this racist or can you wine it away? So here we go. So two white colleagues organise a meeting with two more senior white colleagues to challenge the professional judgment of two brown people in an organisation through patronising visual aids. While simultaneously not briefing the brown colleagues, on the agenda for the meeting, the two brown people are vindicated of their judgment through reason and sound through reason and the agreement of senior staff. Is this racism or just coincidence that you're ethnic and it never happened to white people in the organisation before? So let's introduce ourselves to the panel. Um, Sarah Akibogan, would you like to introduce yourself to everyone?
3: Hi. Um. Architect, practicing architect, um, maker, and I'm vice chair of Women in Architecture. Founder of a thing called the.
2: So you say I think your internet's gone a bit off. So I'll jump to Marsha quickly after um, now, and then hopefully your internet comes back at the end. Uh, Hello,
4: everyone. Gosh, what an introduction. How exciting. <laughs> I'm really, um, really, really excited to be with you. Um, I'm the new Director of Inclusion at the Royal Institute of British Architects, uh, the RIBA. I've been told off for calling it the RIBA. So I'll try to stick to calling it the RIBA. And um, it's just been an education already. I'm just finished day 20 in the job. So, um, be gentle.
2: <laughs> oh, Sarah, you're back. Do you want to jump in? And
4: I'm
3: back. I mean, I was obviously sort of going on too long, and and the internet kind of judiciously kind of um, stopped me from talking. Um, yeah, I, d- I didn't have much more to say other than um, very pleased to be here, um, looking forward to this in- interesting debate um, in a and what's been a really challenging um, week. So yeah.
2: Um, and Peter Elliott, would you like to jump in? Or oh, Peter George, sorry.
5: Okay. Um, good evening, everyone, and it's great to be here. And thanks to the host for organising this event on this important subject, which I don't feel is is, is spoken about enough. So, I'm not an architect might make me unique on the panel. I lead a major regeneration project called Moody and Water, which is based in Enfield in North London. We're looking to deliver 10,000 homes, 6,000 jobs and everything you need for a neighborhood of 25,000 people. We do, however, appoint a lot of architects and I do therefore have views on how the public sector should be going about that and challenges within the architectural industry which I look forward to discussing.
2: Thank you, Peter. And Jazz, do you want to finally introduce yourself?
6: Yeah, thanks, Joseph. Quite um uh, yeah intense introduction. I'm gonna struggle to follow that up. Um my name's Jazz Baller. I'm the principal at Jazz Baller <laughs> Architects. I'm um an architect and town planner uh, i run a small practice based in south london um yeah really really interested to to try and make our way through some of some difficult topics um and hopefully talk about things in a, in a frank and hopefully productive manner um so very much looking forward to discussions and i can see it's obviously an interesting topic because it's loads of uh people in 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 the room so yeah very much looking forward to things
2: Thanks, everyone. Jazz, it'd be interesting maybe to, to start with you first up, just because I know that um, the sort of inspiration for this talk came from uh, something you said at a previous event. Um, and it'd be inter- inter- <laughs> interesting to just hear your views on maybe some of the behaviors or behavioral change that you would like to see um, in the industry.
6: Yeah, I mean, um, I guess it, it, the talk came out of uh, some of the things we were talking about at. The 2020 roundup, um, and it was a comment about um, the tendency, the increasing tendency of, of collaboration that we are seeing since summer. Obviously, we had a summer of, of um, protests associated with Black Lives Matter, and um, I, think in, in, I think it made a lot of you know a lot of people sort of sit back and question and, and try to be critical about why there is such a, a lack of diversity. In, in, in so many sort of professions, including our own. And I think in, in architecture is particularly relevant because certainly in, in London, um, the places where we're sort of focusing a lot of development and regenerative efforts, they tend to be the places where, which are most racially diverse and often the places that have a lot of deprivation. And, and all of a sudden, um, I think clients were looking back and thinking, you know, we don't have a, a design team that um, reflects the people that we're trying to engage with. Um, and I think the things I'm, I'm try- kind of interested in, in, in exploring tonight is st- taking a step back and trying to kind of be critical about the fact that we have a profession which is very difficult to enter, very difficult to qualify, and then poorly remunerated at the end. And how much of that is, um, is a core for why then we have so little, uh, um, uh, so little racial gender and um, other types of diversity when people eventually do make it through so uh, uh, i'm interested in exploring and trying to dismantle how much that is one of the root causes of of um the cultures that you're you're talking about and
2: Sarah, do you want to jump in as well because you obviously see also run a small practice i wonder if your experience chimes with what jazz is, is saying and speaking to yeah
3: yeah i mean it's been uh a kind of very interesting year so I was just thinking about this um at a sort of personal level and then also someone who runs a small practice um I spent quite you know a long time in industry before um kind of stepping out to run a small practice and um I I was kind of just comparing um I mean it's maybe five years it might even be more since I worked in a large practice but I do remember at that time being um I mean I, I kind of mentioned mention it a lot but being um the only black woman, we've heard it before, um, in a practice of, uh, kind of nearly a thousand. Um, and uh, I was joined three or four months later by another black woman. And we used to sort of joke about the fact that we were you know, the only two. Obviously it wasn't funny, but I was sort of thinking about that time and comparing that to um, the last year when um so i've been running my practice for for a couple of years and um you know um jazz was talking about this kind of desire for collaboration that seems to have exploded over the last year um i'm you know last summer um you know my inbox has never been so um so kind of full or so, so sort of busy um I don't know, um, lots of, uh, and we did say we weren't going to use this expression, "bame," but lots of practices <laughs> led by people of color will find a term. Um, you know, must have experienced something similar. But my inbox nearly exploded um, in the, you know, the the, the week after um, George Floyd died, and there has been a kind of. It feels as though there's been a massive sea change when I compare. Um, You know my experience of the profession now to kind of five years ago and i've been sort of trying to think about and understand why that is and it's it's complex um obviously it's complex that's why we're talking about it um so yes that so you know jazz's experience does kind of um chime with mine and i don't know if you um yeah yeah maybe that's that's great for now yeah
2: yeah, i think we'll explore it further and i guess then the obvious person to move on to next is is peter who's obviously a client who is i think everyone is one could applaud it or pushing this agenda um, and sort of sticking your neck out as a client to pilot something different mm. um, i wonder if you could come in on your on your perspective as a client trying to push the industry in a way that it might not be so comfortable doing
5: yeah sure thank you <laughs> yeah so th- the argument that I'm making is clients, but in particular, public sector clients must stop awarding major contracts to companies who don't share our values. And, and amongst those values I I include equalities and diversity. So <clears throat> what when we came to um, Tender a large contract last year, and we've not just finalized the appointment at the moment, and it's the value of which was about five, six million quid. So it's a major architectural contract. I mean, we looked at all of the available frameworks and it's quite, and firstly, the the frameworks. In a diversity regard, are, are really quite poor. Quite famously, the the, the the Suffolk Council framework has been criticised for having multiple practices, none of which have got any people of colour heading them up. But even the GLAs framework isn't strong with regards to diversity of people of colour or female lab practices. So one of the things that we decided to do is, is to break down the, the value of the contracts so that there there is a lead practice but we've insisted that part of the fee goes to a practice led by people of color at a partner level another goes to 50% female at partner level and another goes to a local company but if you want to be you even that's um suboptimal because even that is is going to result in a inevitably white male led architectural practices having a relationship with these other practices which is one of subordination which is not ideal where we would want to be is being able to appoint a diverse range of practices who can actually lead on these contracts and you know, I think in future contracts we're going to have to think about breaking them breaking the contracts down into smaller chunks in, because in from the evidence we've seen, there's a direct correlation between you know, micro and SME practices and, and those practices by women and people of color. So in, and the reason why this is important to us just to finish, is you know Edmonton, where Meridian water is cited, is 55 60 percent black and minority ethnic and you know, when discussing this with my team and this is a a, you know, a view that i share we're quite clear that empathy has limitations and you've only got architects led by white men designing a neighborhood for 25 30 people that is likely to reflect the um ethnicity of the local area then there's going to be limitations to the work that they do because they've not got the experience of those type of communities and you can mitigate that with um community consultation but not entirely in that in my regard
2: it is peter i think it's uh that example of bridge and 4 is really interesting um i wonder marshall if you want to jump in as well so everyone has an opening Gambit, I guess you've heard all of this and yes. you've left quite a nice job, I imagine, at the BBC to join REBA, I, I'll call him that. Um, why, I guess, is probably what everyone... Really <laughs> good question. Thank you for asking thinking. it. Yeah.
4: Um, so I absolutely chose to come to the RIBA rather than, and you know, I, I am making that distinction that it was a, my choice rather than just because I was offered the job. And I offered the job after I went through a proper process, by the way. So why did I leave journalism? Um journalism's all I ever wanted to do when I, I when I was 13, I knew I wanted to work in radio and I I um, I, I made that my career. So to come across the RIBA was a what it was a career change. However, it wasn't, it wasn't, because working in radio was always about um what I call giving the unheard voice a place to speak. It's about reaching voices, making sure that we were listening to the stories that we should have been listening to. That we were asking the communities themselves what their agendas were, and and asking um, them how, and listening to to how we tell the story they want it. They wanted it to be told, and and I, I that was a battle. That was a battle within the BBC, um, and to to to. to make people realise that if you wanted to talk to Black people, you didn't just have to talk to them about racism. You know, they are business owners and, you know, did other things, architects as well. So um, uh, that was that, that that was still very difficult. And, and there were, you know, the BBC itself is a, also a royal charter organisation and, like many institutions in our society, has the same concerns, just like the RIBA does. But why did I move from from journalism into the RIBA was because I, um, I set up on my own and I was had my own consultancy, inclusion um, strategic consultancy called Unheard Voice. Um, and I, I was working in, you know, helping organisations become more inclusive. And there was something, it was something a bit saddening about having to sell what I did to people, having to prove something... Like, you know something inside you dies each time you you feel you have to convince someone that it's worth doing inclusion work, and also that um, running the business was always a vehicle for me to do the work. For me, it's always been about the work. How do I give unheard voices a place to speak? So when I saw the role at the RIBA, I jumped at it because actually. Um, when I was looking at all the paperwork and I saw what had been done in the last few months, I really felt that the RIBA wanted to make this change but didn't know how. And that I felt that that was expertise that I could bring. But not only that it was expertise that I could bring, but that um, I had a real opportunity that the RIBA is a Royal Institute and that I had the opportunity to help the RIBA role model for other Royal Institutes. That was one thing. And then also that because architecture is so important in the way that we frame our spaces and the way we frame our spaces is how we frame our thinking and how we think is how we behave. If we had an inclusive architectural sector, we could actually create inclusive thinking and behaviours and so I, I I, said this at the time that I, I was being offered the role, I really feel I can change the world by doing this job so that's why I took it.
2: Okay so now you've met them, still have the same opinion or you? Uh...
4: No I do, I do because um, two things, I said I would only take the role if I'd answer to the CEO and there was a decent budget and I've got both of those things um i was really clear about what i wanted to do which is um i'll explain more as we go along about uh, building a culturally intelligent organization and sector um i've always been very clear about wanting to use that framework which you're talking about behaviors all the time and and when i think one of the things one of the, the two main reasons why uh inclusion and equity let's call it edi um uh, uh, things have failed and the first is because we're constantly fighting the symptoms rather than the cause and the second is we know why we want uh, diversity and inclusion to be better we know what those outcomes should look like but the how is missing so and i believe that the cultural intelligence is a framework of behaviors that help you move from the what to the, the why to the what is the how
2: and Sarah, you also have a strong link with uh, Reba. Um, it'd be interesting to know your perspective I'm a practitioner who's decided to go sort of into into the institution as a way of trying to make change and sort of what you've what you've discovered. Mm.
3: It, it' interesting. Um, I, I like the way you kind of um, put that this idea of going into the into the institution, especially this week. Um, I think that um, I as i said i've been in the industry for for a while and um you know it felt like um so just to say a little bit more about myself so i so i'm a filmmaker and i make films and um recently uh the work i've done has also been around uh, in and around kind of um giving people a voice so um it's uh i work with women and i'm currently working on a project which is about um, um women of color um, female architects of color that is um, and kind of um, telling and finding their stories and um, i think uh, i i think I had this idea that in order to create change you need to work from both the kind of outside which i was already doing with the sort of film work and kind of activism but also you you need to get into these institutions and and work um, with them uh, and so what what martha's saying i think is really interesting this idea that architecture frames absolutely everything that we do and it it you know it it is the backdrop to our lives, um, and uh, you know, for us in the UK, the RIBA is kind of—it's almost like the sort of nerve center of um, of, of of architecture. So it felt like, um, or at least it's—it's it's, it's, you know the sort of public voice, the kind of you know it's it's a royal institution no less, um, the kind of public face of our profession. And I think that um, you know, so it it felt like an important. Um, Kind of place to be to try, you know, to start to try to affect that change. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this, it's interesting.
2: You know, Sorry. I was going to say, but it also sounds like you're interested in a lot more than just, I guess, the, the tropes of what they would consider you know, like ethnic architecture which is almost becoming like a bit of a genre in its own right. So it's like the BAME-led practice will do the community consultation. The BAME-led practice will do the talking to the community to present a brown face when actually the most of the the labor and fee is going somewhere else. Um, and yeah. I saw that Celine, Selena in the comment um, made a similar point as well about sort of the, the idea that um, ethnic practices have a, like a scope of limitations, which is put on them. Mm. which is about saying, you know, they are really good at community. Like I even got an email, bearing in mind, I work for a client and the person, the practice who was, who asked me to be their community engagement officer was bidding for a project at the organization I work for. Obviously hadn't checked my CV. Um, and it was like, well, do you want to do the community engagement? But I know nothing really about, I used to build it back in the day, but I don't know anything really about it. So Jazz, it's interesting, you know, um, you're obviously a, a qualified planner and an architect, and I wonder, have many planning strategies come across your desk within the deluge of emails you've received over the last six months?
6: Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I think one by accident, but um, it was that was one of the things that actually um, got me thinking a lot about this, that... Yeah, yeah I, I think you're right, like you with... Um, as Sarah was saying, my, my inbox has exploded over the last sort of six, eight months, or however long it's been now. I don't, time just sort of has no meaning in lockdown. Um, and um, yeah, a lot of the time, sometimes you are, you know, you have to be as a, as a small practice where your time is limited. You have to be really careful about what you say yes to, and you can only say yes to people, you know, when you've worked with the organizations before, when you trust them, when you know there's going to be um, a meaningful role to, for you. Because, um, you know, in, in in there are, I'm, I'm glad Peter um, sort of recognized that the, the, the current setup um, is sort of suboptimal. I mean, I should I should caveat that we're saying I'm I'm really I'm very pleased that things are changing, and i I'd, I'd 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 hate for anyone to take away from take away anything I'm saying and, and think that I'm sort of suggesting that um you know this challenging that the 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 way things are evolving we are it's a sort of rejection of change altogether. That's not what this is about. It's about just trying to um, say okay, it's great that we've made a start, but let's take this further and let's really let's really sort of um, you know get to the, the the root and root and cause of, of some of these issues so it was really good to hear that peter suggested that the um the current setup was as suboptimal and that they were looking at in in future breaking uh larger projects up into into smaller chunks because I, I i think that's actually a very good way about sort of proactively ga- engaging small practices um but to your to your point joe about um uh uh planning strategies and um and you know I, I, I personally, I think actually that's one of the most important places in which we need more diversity in thinking and avoiding less groupthink. And um, and and at the moment, we we yet to see some of that change happen. I've I've seen it happen more in um, the architectural industry, where I think in housing we're seeing um, more local authorities be a bit more progressive. And there's still a way to go. But I think in in planning strategies in master planning, um, a lot of that's yet to happen. And and again, that might be because there's less of that work available. Um, it might be because um, local authorities and their plan making teams operate on a, on a threadbare um, budget as it is so there's less work going around but I would say as a, as a planner architect that's probably more important um, in, in terms of the way we shape communities.
4: Joseph can I pick up on a couple of things? Yeah of course Um can. so So uh, the, the first is like uh, I just want to talk about diversity of, of of thinking, and I think that's really important that there is a diversity of thinking. But I, I, I want to ward against, you know, and, and warn against uh, that, um, that the the use of that because it has been used as an excuse not to have a diversity of lived experience, and a diversity of lived experience I think is as important, if not more so, than a diversity of thinking because, um, you know, a, a homogenous group of people might have a diversity of, uh, of of thought there, so um, you know, just uh, as as we as we try to explore this and, and sort of dig into the weeds of what what the actual issues are here, why why is planning facing this issue? Why can't people get um, progress in their roles? Why is this the structure that it is? Um, I think we need to we need to really think about the diversity of lived experience and also. That um, I'm, I really, I've I I, <laughs> I kind of taken a sort of little jump a few times because I really hate the term BAME. I hate it so much. I really want everyone in architecture, one thing could come out of today, this talk, is that everyone stops using that. Um, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about underrepresented groups, underrepresented racialized groups. We're talking about non white. Uh, So let's use those terms because that's what we mean. BAME was created as a term by government, so no one of of, of colour was involved in in that discussion, to lump together people who aren't white. And if you're going to talk about BAME, then I heard someone say, well, then we should be talking about white people as W. So it's it there's so much diversity within the BAME that if we're talking about black people, let's talk about black people. If we're talking about African people, let's talk about African people or Caribbean people or South Asian descent or people who are Japanese or so, you know, um, or travelers, whatever it might be, I think it's so, so important that we we really talk about who we're talking about. And if we're talking about something like underrepresented racialized groups, then that really puts the emphasis. On what we're talking about, which is underrepresentation and the racialization of people. So um, uh, I would really, really love it. Oh my God, if the one thing could happen, <laughs> this is my big win, <laughs> quick win. Everyone starts talking about BAME. That would be great. No,
2: but certainly I would, I would that totally agree.
4: That issue around okay, so how a lot of the so what Charles was talking about there is how some some symptoms there. And I really think we need to start okay, pushing aside the symptoms and saying, well, what is the root cause? What is the root cause to, you know, what you'd call the brainwashing? you talked about the, the F words in charge and every that sort of thing at the beginning. And um, I did, you know, I know there's some RIBA members, staff members on this call, so you've got to stay silent now because I'm going to ask questions of everybody and they know the answer to this. I did an all staffer the other day and I asked, um, do you know the percentage of the UK population that's white, able bodied, heterosexual men based in London the Southeast? If you, had to, if you had to have a holder number in your mind, what is the percentage of the UK population that's white, able bodied, heterosexual men based in London and Southeast? Want to shout and answer at me, anybody? Or 5%? Enough? Um, enough? Fifteen percent, ten percent, twenty-three percent—not that it's many. it's like, but play, just, like you just play your cards played. right. Yeah. So You're it like
2: is. Just play your cards right. My uh, racism versus white explaining game has been destroyed by this. Martha. It's
4: three. It's three point one percent. Three point one percent, and and the percent. And do we know the percentage of uh, the UK architecture um, industry that's led by white able-bodied heterosexual men based in London Southeast?
3: Something
4: mm-hmm. like 97%, isn't it? <laughs> well, the, the
3: thing is, we don't
4: know. And this is the other thing that we need to do. We need to get the data. who well, someone was yeah. talking about data, I think, earlier. We need to get the data. What I do know is 90% say, well, this is of RABA members. 90% say they're not disabled, 81% are men, uh, 71% of revenue comes from London Southeast. Um uh, more than 80% uh, say that they're heterosexual. So when you aggregate all of that data together, it's definitely more than you know. It's, a, it's about 60%, I'd say.
2: The, the the thing that sticks out to me is I remember Elsie Owusu saying that the 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 fee spend in London on architecture fees is like 30 billion pound a year, and therefore she wants people of colour to have half of that that success when 15 billion of that 30 billion goes to non-white that makes led sense. practices that's where we rest so there's a target for everyone um i'm so, quite keen so, to get the audience involved of as course. well
7: can i um, i did tell you you'd my, have to sorry. shut me up
2: <laughs> never we can, can go as long as, I as you need jump
3: to jump in with something yeah of course they
2: need to um, ask you can, can, just,
3: can i jump um, in with something just 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 dive it just to pick up on Marsha's point so i i was preparing something for this that was a bit like a kind of know like i might prepare for a panel discussion and i'm really pleased to discover that that it's not but just just picking up on um you know what what martha's talking about there with with kind of data and and the why and i think there's something that's really important to remember about the architecture profession is that um or at least i think it's important um is that the, the the very kind of um idea of architecture is is based on the idea of the default white male, yeah. you know, the, the entire... I mean, it's sort of historically, if you go back to um, Vitruvius and, you know, Das Architectura, sorry, um, my Latin isn't great, but, you know, this this very book that the discipline is based on. And then in the Renaissance, you have Vitruvian man, you know, Vitruvian man, and then you have um, Le Cabousier's Modular Man, you, you know, one kind of white male body after another, and the idea of the female body, modular female, was rejected at the time that the the modular man comes about, and it's, I think, you know, it's not something that's there kind of at the forefront of our thinking, but I think it's really important to remember that it kind of, it it frames um, the discipline of architecture, it's kind of there subliminally, and then the other thing is this idea of the single, Genius and the single genius narrative, and I think that this is really kind of counter to, you know, the idea of collaboration, and it it informs um, that idea of the single genius um, and this idea of the, you know, the the exceptional individual frames so much of the way architecture is practiced, and and the business models that um, that uh, architecture is, you know, the, the way we practice architecture um you know and so this idea of the the work culture that is about kind of you know um staying up all night and 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 all of this thing about kind of you know this the idea of exceptionalism um the fountainhead like protagonist frame so much of how we practice um and i think that fundamentally these are the things that we need to challenge because they also create the sort of in part at least create the economic backdrop that makes architecture such um you know a profession that is so inaccessible to people because it is if it's about having to work long hours for low pay then how many of us can do that you know how, how, how you know and so yeah i just wanted to make that point because i think it's really fundamental and it pervades all that aspects of architecture yeah,
4: the idea now, that idea that everything that's writing, white and
2: male is norm. I wanna, not exactly. Norm. I want to get Wendell so, Sam, Samra into the conversation, one of my Instagram architecture heroes um, and CBC's presenter um, as well. I'm also keen that when the after Window, hopefully this is Bobby and Robert, I'm going to unmute him and make him host what I say this. Um, one of the things I really want to focus on is not where we are, because I think most of us know the situation is diabolical, but what are the tools and the things we do to change the future? Because I think there's a lot of energy being spent on understanding that the current situation is terrible, but we all know that. And I don't want to like uh, continue to like, because actually the, it's quite it's quite perpetrated. Uh, the perpetrating of continually talk, talking about how shit the current situation is, tends to make it harder to find the future tools to make change, because it's quite sapping. So I'm quite keen that we talk about the like vision for, of an alternative future, where we don't have to have this conversation, um, hopefully Christmas 2021, and by the, the, the timescale to finish it all. So hopefully, Sat Winder can join us now.
8: Um, thanks Joseph, and uh, lovely to see so many faces tonight. Uh, what a wonderful event and how refreshing to have an open dialogue and conversation about something that's very close to many people's hearts. Um, ultimately, um, architectural education is too long, too expensive, and too arduous, and therefore, inherently, it becomes exclusive. And that's why um, certain people might feel either not able to enter or feel that they can't continue to be um, part of the club or whatever we may wish to call it. Um, I I think that um, uh, we need more choice for students and more support, um, and we need alternative routes to full qualification. Uh, on average, it takes nine and a half years to fully qualify as an architect. That's a very long time. Uh, my youngest son is only eight, so even if I'd started to train as an architect when he was born, I would still be perhaps wandering around in the realms of a partial part three, wondering what on earth I was doing. So I think moving forward, we need we need more alternatives. And um, we've set up a program uh, at Sheffield University called Club to Practice. It's earn as you learn, uh, inclusive. Uh, model. Uh, Interestingly, um, we that that model, we were looking to expand it so that it would be further evolved and developed and uh, we went to a leading professional body in architecture. um, Who um, have something called a group called the new courses group, Um, however, they weren't ready for such change so until we're ready for real change. Um, You know, we're knocking on the door, we want to have different versions and, more importantly, students want change as well, and until we're ready for that uh, wholehearted, kind of, um, uh, sort of, look into the future, things are going to, things will likely, will likely stay as they are. Uh, So that's a plea from me, uh, which is around productive change right through the whole system, and there are people ready to deliver that change and we need to allow them to do that. Um, and and do it productively because uh, the students out there are hungry for change and they want to be architects and they want to have a meaningful, sustainable career within architecture. And it's it's our role to um, ensure that that could and and, and it should happen. Thank I you. Bring,
2: I want to bring Peter in because one of the things that people don't really talk about with Emerging Water was your commitment for practices to pay for scholarships right from start of a career to completion as part of their commitments to um diversity if we use one of the better words but i think that was one of the most radical bits didn't get picked up much in the press but we'll let you talk a bit more about that yeah
5: yeah no thanks judge if you're right um <clears throat> yeah what we're doing is we look focus on the here and now but we're also you know, we, we can't escape the fact that the problem is the pool and you know it, the client also has responsibilities to diversify the pool so that in in future, naturally, there'll be more led, more practices led by you know, black people, women, and and so on and so forth. So, as you said, <clears throat> what we're doing and what we're encouraging all other councils to be doing when procuring architects, you know, and I appreciate there's there's a value consideration here, but also investing in sponsoring a an architect all the way through the the years, but, you know, as the last speaker said, there you know, there are far too far too many years. And what we've not spoken about today, but that's also a major issue affecting diversity is class. Yeah. And, you know, I've read that 98% of architects in this country are from the top two economic groups, and there's clearly a correlation between class and between Ethnicity as as well, so that I think the clients need to be a lot stronger in terms of supporting scholarships for the future generation, but also in terms of what we're doing now. We've got to be a lot clearer about what change looks like and just coming back to a point you made a a lot of people with good intentions look to promote change, but their requirements are too timid and easily get fobbed off. So, I'm having conversations with my existing consultancy teams, a major one, I won't name them, I won't embarrass them, but a major one, international one. And I said, where are you on qualities and diversity?" And he said, "Um, we've got an action plan. I said, I don't want to see your action plan. Everyone that you put on my project are white men. I don't care about your action plan. What i care about is that the people on the project all look the same change that then i'll look at your action plan
2: yeah i totally agree um i think most action plans are like almost totally redundant from the witnesses i've seen because very few people who do the work reference to them on a day-to-day basis or even know where they're saved on a filing system um marsha you Said you have some solutions. I do because I think um, one of the are things. Are you sure is... you want to give them out for free, or
4: <laughs> yeah, you of course. A quick
2: PayPal, a quick PayPal <laughs> day, day button, and let's raise some more extra resource that we can use to do who knows what. Because
4: given given what I was saying earlier about it, it's, it's quite easy to describe, but it's much harder to do. Um, so the solutions exist. There's no doubt. Like what Peter's talking about there, the solutions to that kind of thing exist. The issue is, is there the will to enact them? And so how do you create what you were talking about right at the beginning, um, Joseph, about the behavior change? How do you create the behavior change? This is where I was talking earlier about cultural intelligence and why it's so important. So this is where I really what I really want to describe this. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a few minutes. So just let me just let me blow it. Um so cultural intelligence, like I said to you, is it's the um it's the capability to work and relate effectively with people who are different from you. That's the definition of it. And when the people behind that definition were were, um, trying to figure out what what, what they were doing, the research question they asked was, what's the difference between success and failure when working in today's globalised multicultural world? That's the question. What's the difference between success and failure? And they asked, tens of thousands of people all over the world in nearly a 100 different countries that question and that's how they came up with the answer of what are the behaviors you need to be successful at working and relating with people who are different from you and the four capabilities they came up with the first was drive you need to be motivated to make the change if you're thinking about i want to make any change if it's like um becoming fitter and you're you're sitting down in front of the telly and you're watching snowpiercer and you think actually what i really need to do is get up and go for a run you're not going to do it unless you're motivated to do it and i what i talk about is getting inclusion fit so if we can use the same kind of example see so you've got to want to do it you need the drive secondly you need the knowledge and this is the biggest piece of the puzzle so it's all those underrepresented groups. What do you know? What don't you know? Uh, what should you be thinking about? Uh, where Whose values don't you understand? Whose values are so different from yours, are so alien that they actually feel like they're wrong, but they're not wrong. They're just a different perspective. How do you navigate that? And that's a knowledge piece. The third piece is strategy. How do you plan? This is a really, really important piece. How do you plan? How do you check your assumptions about everything that you've just learned in your knowledge piece? How do you um navigate uh like the, the 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 assumptions that you're making? How self-aware are you? And that's that's the third piece of the you need strategy, you need to plan. And whether that's in like personal relationships or whether it's building policy, that's what you need to do. And then the fourth is around um action. Someone who's high in cultural intelligence has a broad repertoire of behaviors, either adapt or not adapt in any given situation. And they use that when they're um, working, relating effectively with people who are different from them. Now, if you have this capability and this uh, high uh, uh, CQ uh, as an individual in leadership in architecture, then you can role model the right kind of inclusive behaviours in order to create inclusive organisations. So we need role modelling. People need to understand why they're being asked to make the change. That's why the data piece is so important. People need to have the opportunity to behave in the new way and the training to do so. And we need those formal net mechanisms, those recruitment pieces, um, procurement policies to support the change. And we need to do that across the four different areas of um, architecture and uh, the RIBA. So that's how we get people in. So that's all that education piece that's that Vinda was talking about, how we do that. The solutions exist. Like I say, you've got to want to do them. You need the motivation. The second bit is how we treat people, uh, how we how we engage with them and how they progress. The third bit is the architectural services, um, how we do those, and the fourth bit, is um, our users, our clients, our customers, how we treat them and how we attract them. So if we've got cultural intelligence as a foundation, we implement that at individual department, team and organizational level. We have the four cornerstones of change. We've got those formal mechanisms, we're role modeling. We've got um, uh, the development of talents and skills, and we're fostering understanding that why. And we're doing it across those four areas of the business then you create inclusive change. And it's a really straightforward thing to explain. And it's a very straightforward strategy that I've implemented, not only I'm hoping to implement the REBA, but elsewhere, but it works. And um, you bring about that thinking, behavioral change, that is the fundamental route to tackling those structural issues that cause all the symptoms you're discussing that it takes too long to train that it um people can't you know black firms can't be um employed by to to do projects that um you know all all this socioeconomic barriers that exist of getting people in exist we need to change the thinking and behaviors as you say but that starts with self with that introspection
2: okay so to summarize I guess less creepy dickheads in architecture would be- nice. Exactly. Okay, that's, that's great. Um, I, I agree totally, as you can imagine. Um, there was an interesting point that came up, which was, I think what's interesting in the comments I've seen, I've been seeing many of them, was this idea of like people of color saying it, it doesn't seem to be that hard. And yet whenever I present these to white organizations, it's like, it's just so hard. How could we possibly put targets? How could we possibly put times girls together? Is it possible? Um, so it seems to be like a disconnect of people's lived experiences of these issues and then those gatekeepers um, who are yeah, sort of seem to be problem. blocking it. Um, it. Jazz, do you want to jump in?
6: But I, it wasn't, I didn't say anything, but I will jump in though. Um, wow. <laughs> um, no, I, I was going to say I was like quietly nodding along when Winder was talking because um, from my own personal experience, I, um, I wanted to study architecture at uh, undergrad when I was 17. I didn't really understand much about the profession uh, from what I did find out about it, it just seemed very expensive, um, very poorly rewarded. And you know, as a 17-year-old who went to a comprehensive school, like earning a decent living and making uh, making money, and and you know, being the first person to go to university in my family, those things were all important to me. So when I went to to open days and you know professors would joke about the fact that oh you're, you're gonna to have to stay up for three nights in a row and at the end of it you know look to the left and look to the right only one of you is going to actually qualify and you're not going to make any money from uh from this and they kind of la- laughed about that and sort of indulged that culture to me that is where um that is the, the root cause of all these problems like what why do why is this just this ridiculous hero culture about sort of you know as 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 cirrus as being the lone genius and um so anyway not not to to go on about my life story but then when i eventually trained to be an architect after training to be a planner i had to go to the states to do it because there they have a system where you can come in um, as a as a graduate student and study architecture at master's level when it's your first professional degree so you know imagine if we had that system here you'd get people doing engineering planning uh, philosophy lots of different stuff coming in avoiding groupthink, coming with 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 different opinions different ideas and we could set up a different system where there would at least be a diversity of thought and and i would bet that if you were to allow people to kind of that kind of cross-pollination that you get in disciplines like the law you would inevitably have more gender racial geographic um diversity but you know when i was trying to having come back from the states i had so many conversations with with the ARB, with, with the RIBA, and they just, it's like knocking against, uh, uh, it, I just couldn't get through, like I, I wrote letters upon letters. I, I know so many um, uh, talented friends who are uh, graduates in, in the States and they can't get registered here because the the, the, the gatekeepers, as the term has been given, are just resistant to it. And, and in the end, I had to do a retrospective part one, uh, which I had, to, I had to borrow money to do. So it was, it ended up being very, very expensive. Um, and, and to me that would be in terms of uh, positive action to change that that is something that needs to change and and we won't see the results of it tomorrow but we might see it in in you know five to ten years time
2: well i think in good public sector fashion that is a good action for us to take away so let's organize a letter and get everyone who attended this to sign it and send it through by marsha to uh reba as because i think that's a key point That is an action it's an alternative vision for education let's make it happen let's sound advice will definitely back you up uh, ming do you want to jump in i think you you had a point to make so if you keen to say here you've got to say well,
9: well hello hello everybody it's, it's great to actually see such so, such a diverse uh, uh panel you know and also diverse people you know around i mean i, I i'm just I, I i'm glad we actually have the kind of conversation but one of the points that i i find is i've been to quite a few um well because of the recent event uh quite a few uh, uh webinar and some are organized by the RIBA, and um and and is, you actually have directors directors level there and then the, the, you just kind of raised a point so my point is either 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 the the bame or person of colors whatever architects either we actually lack something that we can't actually promote to to, to directors level so if that is the case so Please identify what that is, and then we can actually improve a point or whatever. If that is not the case, we you can literally promote uh, someone who is actually a person of color to a director tomorrow. So that that is as simple as that. So either we have something that we're lacking or we don't. And if we don't, we can do the problem can be solved immediately.
2: I'm keen to open the conversation a bit more um to the wider audience um so people want to contribute if you put your if you raise your hand is this if this is a feature in zoom i have no idea um that would be grand so then i think it puts you further up the 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 the, the, the screen so do you want to jump in for a bit and i've also got a question for duncan actually as well so get ready
3: yeah um so um just to pick up on that you know what do we lack um we don't like anything uh you know uh we obviously we have you know, we have the skill and the talent. Uh, you know, I'm being slightly facetious there. I mean, there is, um, you know, I, I think Marsha kind of hit the nail on the head. It's something this with this thing of cultural intelligence and the fact that you have to have motivation from the other side. You know, um, the the status quo has never shifted. Actually, this isn't quite. That's not quite true. I was going to say the, the status quo has never shifted without the kind of buy-in of the of the other side. Um, um, but that that's not quite true because sometimes it's sort of forced through. But I, I think the point is that you need you need that motivation to come from the other side. And the question is, how do we? Um, you know, pe- nobody, most people don't want to give up kind of position of power it's very difficult to shift the status quo um and so i suppose a bit like the argument around climate change everyone has to believe that they have an interest in seeing this shift you know i I think that's part of the 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 issue um and then um you know this this issue of promotion um it's about relationships, isn't it? We, we know that it's not as simple as kind of who has the talent, because as you say, Ming, if, if it were that simple, well, you know, we would be, we'd all be directors. Um, so that's, that, those are kind of my, my thoughts. So it's 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 something to do with, um, it, it, it is to do with relationships and this, and this kind of cultural shift that we need to make, you know, no no magic hmm. bullets.
2: But I think sometimes there's a bit of a scratching around, um, which might be a, bit of a jump. I think again, this comes back to: is it is it as hard as we're making it out to be? Is it that hard to have representation at the top of organisations, or are people to organisations just a little bit racist, and that's why they don't have people colour at the top of them? You know, like what like what actually is the issue here? You know, like I think sometimes you just should call the spade a spade, and say, you know, if you don't talk a bit like the person, or you don't have the same skiing holidays as them, you know, you're less likely to want to be stuck with them in management meetings every week, maybe, I don't know, this is just me throwing out some ideas and some questions because I think sometimes, again, I do wonder that we over-complexitize what is quite simple human behavior, which has been something that has been proven for hundreds of years. Rather than this idea that there's somehow a really difficult, really complex strategic reason why you don't see people of color kind of top of organisations, maybe the people at top organisations are just a little bit racist and have been, and have been allowed to get away with it because there's been no accountability in these institutions to get rid of them so if they fail on these issues.
5: Yeah. yeah, I agree. You no, know, we shouldn't even be having the conversation. Um, whether or not women or um you know black people are good enough to be directors you know we shouldn't even be having that debate you know the debate we should be having and talking about is the fact that you know why you know, the answer to why is why would the people who have got most to lose cede that position you No, know, why would those at the top why would those white men Running these organizations and making you know a great sum of money, why would they diversify the board and cede power and control? It's nothing to do with women or people of color, no. it's, it's those who've got the most to lose doing everything they can to hold on to power and, and to resist that.
3: But the status quo never, never shifts by choice you know this this is the the point I was trying to to make um you know people tend to need a push because if you think about um you know women getting the vote brown people getting the vote I mean these things didn't just happen um because somebody on the other side said oh yeah you know what I think you should have the vote it it, you know it, it kind of It it didn't happen like that. and What we're talking about is trying to what Martha is talking about is trying to create a soft sort of voluntary shift, you know, which, which is what we would like, we want the buy in from the other side, we want the other side. um, You know, we want people to do what you've done, Peter, which is to kind of change what usually happens.
4: I think just to add to that, though, that it's just, it's not just about, um, uh, I think, because the fundamental issue is bias, the fundamental issue is this resistance to change from those who hold the power and authority, that, that we have to work with that, because otherwise nothing will change. And you make that point about the suffrage movement, you know, um, Robin D'Angelo makes that very point at the beginning of her book, White Fragility, about the fact that actually women wouldn't have won the vote if men hadn't given it to them and so uh, it, it, we we need those who who hold the power to recognize like you say and and peter saying oh you know why would people want to give that up well um th- th- because there's a fallacy that by giving it up you lose that you know it's it's a no no win situation but that's not the case all the data all the data says that not only does everyone win, but everyone wins more if everyone comes to the table. So it's 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 a fear that needs to be tackled, and 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 that's why I'm you know I, I'm really pushing that that we need the we need people who are in in their position to, to change their mind, but but they need to know how, and that's why I'm really um really. I mean, I don't think it's thing. for us to
2: tell them how; they to work it out for themselves. At this point, that's one of my best pet hates. Um, Lanre, do you want to jump in? Like, there's three people with their hands up who are absolute heroes of our industry. Um, Lanre, do you want to jump in?
10: Yeah, thanks, Joseph. Um, yeah, really, really interesting discussions and, you know, so many things to unpick here, but um, I'll probably just just probably uh, run through a couple of things on my mind. Um, in terms of what do we lack, I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, non, it's a non-question, really. We shouldn't even be having that conversation. Um, And even if we were having that conversation, then can anyone on this call say that, you know, we've got a level playing field for for non-white architects or, or those within the built environment and, you know, how long is that? Uh, playing field not been level for um, if we're talking decades if not centuries so yeah there's probably going to need to be some element of um, consideration about that Um, I think for me one of the key things that we really need to do in terms of addressing the issues around diversity is actually looking at yeah potentially you know a lot more kind of diverse gatekeepers like yourself you know uh, Joseph and, and, and others on the call who are now very obviously switched on and recognize that obviously you know the tide is changing and the future going forward very much belongs to those who are Um, more adaptable who are more um, you know uh, kind of future-minded in their thinking and very much open to you know uh, uh, very much uh, diverse kind of roundtables Um, and that is going to potentially challenge some of those who have been at the top for the last, you know, however many years um, and those who are predominantly, you know, white male uh, leaders of these large practices and organizations who are maybe not engaging with the discussion because they're thinking, well, actually we've been here for many years and will continue to remain so. I think that's gonna change um, over the next decade for sure because yeah, uh, some of the more diverse uh, gatekeepers and clients are becoming a little bit more aware of the fact that actually we can make a big change here and we have an influence. So we've got to ask ourselves actually as a community of like-minded people on this call who are having interesting conversations and want to make a change. Well, what society do we want to see? Do we want to see a diverse society? Do you want us to see a society that actually truly represents what I believe in and what you believe in? And then encourage those who are, one, maybe in positions of power who also feel the same and encourage them to be bold enough to make changes. Um, But also, yeah, support those who are uh, making those uh, attempts to actually, change society um yeah to, to to make a difference i think there's a lot we can do it's probably just about not complicating it and recognizing that yeah you know it's not about competency but it's about promotion and giving those who are capable you know visibility uh, at the top tables
2: um i want to bring also another audience participation for amandeep do you want to jump in
7: hi everyone um yeah like fantastic fantastic panel every, every single person that said something relates to a different point in either my uh education or career that i can relate to um i i've had i found two two specific issues um in boards that i've been involved in or been part of an organization one of them has been um again all white board and the, fee, the, the the hiccups have been people wanting to pass or kick the can down the road. So things like it's not an issue of um, it's not an issue at the top. There's just not enough architects to begin with. So they'll never get to the top. So that that that's a big one I face quite a lot. So you have conversations, you come up with the statistics, you say all of this and it's like, yeah, well, actually, well, there's not enough to begin with. So how do we get there? But it's it's not as simple as start from the top It's a top and a bottom situation. If there's not enough at the top, there's not enough at the bottom wanting to go to the top. So I think it's a more much more complex issue than just addressing that. In other boards, um, I've also had the issue where you might have one member or one or two people that uh, are converted, so in the sense that they've they, they have allyship. but what they they still feel like they're the only person in that room and they don't have, even though they're the gatekeepers, they still feel within a board of six people, they don't have the power to influence change. So what do they do? They want to set up a board, an advisory board of 10 people so that they can have an agency of employees who are far lower in terms of um, uh, status or category. So they could go back to their board and say, oh, I've got 10 other people and it's not just me. And now all these 10 other people are also saying the same thing as me. Can we make a change? And in the end, it still comes back to no we don't see any need to make a change. Um, I'm completely with um, Peter as well on on on, we need more clients at the top, we need more people of colour at the top, at the clientship. I was in the MHCLD roundtable yesterday. And 26 people on that panel, one person of colour, and that was just me by chance, and three women. And in that panel were representatives of local authorities of the entire UK. So you had key decision makers making the future changes for how housing is going to be developed across the UK. And I was the only person that was representing for somebody from colour and there was only three women and those three women were part of the MHCLG. So actually the local authorities, they were all white middle aged men. And it was just insane. I was just sitting there going, this, this cannot be happening. Um, so yeah, I think it, th- I would definitely say there is a need at the top um, for more architects, more designers, more people in the built environment to to break through that door, break through that gate, get to the top, so you you can be the ones writing those briefs, writing those strategic visions, actually, not just doing the tokenistic changes, but things that, you know, Peter started to do, bigger things, much bigger things that you and you, know, you Joseph, yourself are doing as well. So um, thanks for letting me in.
2: That's right. And it's always painful change as well. I think that's the other thing. It's just like
7: there will always be people who struggle or suffer
2: because it's the nature of the the, the, the challenge. So, do you want to jump in as well? So, I And Tara's like, back hand up as well, so four heroes in a row. Um, and um, we'll go back to the panel.
11: Thank you. Was that was that me, Joseph? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I didn't want to be barging on barging on in and then like, oh, no, it's with someone else. Um, So I think one of the things um, that, for me, feels super important to talk about within this conversation, and it's such an important and valuable conversation, and thank you so much for for all being part of this panel discussion and for it to all the organisers. Um, One of the things that doesn't seem to have come up is the issue of fees, because fees in UK practice within architecture are really low. And we know that that means that if fees are low, then salaries are low, and put, and low salaries is always consistently going to hit those hit hardest, those who can least afford it. And that's going to be unrepresented groups, it's going to be people from non-white backgrounds, it's going to be people from working white class backgrounds, it's going to be people who have positions of less advantage, it's going to be women. And what, and I suppose this is kind of a question to to make this into a question. I think it's a question for the people on the panel who are coming from, from the position of the RIBA and also as clients, that at the moment we have the RIBA reporting on what salaries are now, but we don't have a push for what they should be. And so we have this, we're just gonna have this cycle where there isn't going to be any improvement until that is addressed. And there are about roughly, um, give or take, 13% of buildings in the UK are built with an architect involved. That's pretty low, which means it's a lot of people chasing not much fee. And there are people in the RIBA who are being paid 160k and north, up to north of £300,000. Whilst you're lucky, really lucky in architecture, if you're being paid forty-five to sixty thousand pounds, so sixty um, k a year. Um, so that to me feels this p- point on fees seems like a really important one to be unpicking.
2: Yeah. So who's earning three hundred thousand pounds at what What is their job title? And let's do a campaign where someone in this audience gets that job. So. so
3: it's not just to say it's not me. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not.
11: um And so that was uh, there was a tweet which was put out a couple of months ago. I can dig around for it and see if I can pop it in the chat. It was.
2: It was it's not a serious uh, oh, accusation it's on that person. So, uh, it's,
11: so, <laughs> so that information is publicly available.
2: Okay.
11: So you can down. Da- you know, you can download the kind of one hundred and sixty to three hundred thousand. The names are not there. But the, the, that, that, that there are those positions within the organisation is, you know, is kind of publicly stated. And that seems like that is a tricky thing, that there's this imbalance with people at the top and who they represent. And then the people who they're representing and the reality of the fees that the people that they're representing are are getting.
2: I just want to bring, Selena. do you want to come in and ask, and ask your question? Um I know you've there's been you've been quite vocal in the chat. I wonder if you wanted to, to vocalize it, if you want to. I don't know, Bob, if you can oh, you are you unmuted.
12: Yes. Um good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes, uh, Um. I live in upper Edmonton and I'm um, one of the residents who is a member of React, a neighborhood group, actively working with Peter and the Council to improve the um, neighbourhood and in so doing, because Meridian Water is at a doorstep, we've more or less been very determined to see that it's um, developed for the benefit of the neighbourhood with the neighbourhood um, having a say in it. It's taken quite a long time for it to get to this stage, there's been so many hurdles. However, one of the m- major issues that we've been very concerned about is the lack of representation by people of color, if I may use that term, or black people, and the um, the insurgents following the um, Floyd uh, situation galvanized a lot of say um, confidence in the community to be more direct. And I've done quite a few research, walking around, um, around the neighborhood to see where developments have already started. And I don't see people of color wearing the high visibility vest. And I wonder why, why it's exclusive. What are they lacking that they have never been shown to be part of the team? I am not being um, disrespectful to the Eastern Europeans that seem to have the first passport to get these jobs. But I question why people that are of color are not given the same opportunity. And I've raised that with Peter. And I'm I must commend Peter for coming back with positive opportunities to discuss this um, matter. But I do think that there's more to be done from the um, From the community level, I feel that we should have an input in who is allowed to build on our doorstep. And I know that I've raised this matter with Vistry, where they have not been able to demonstrate the numbers or the level of inclusivity with regards to those that they they are working with. Each time we have public consultation, I am so disturbed when I see the color of those that are representing us um, is lacking. And the only time that they are tokenistically uh, given a a platform to be a member of the team, they are probably paper pushers. They are administrative levels. They are not at the um, medium or middle level manager role or upwards. And I do feel that it's not because they're not competent enough. I just feel that it's the the level of racism and something has to be said. If we are, as a a community group, we'll be given the opportunity to have a face-to-face at the initial stage to ask questions and, and answers be given to why there's such a shortage of black people or people of color. I think it's about time this esteemed group of yours is able to champion that or raise that on the platform where you guys are able to do that. I am just an ordinary resident and I've observed this long enough. I've had my own experiences of racism, but it's not because we don't have competent people that are able to um, represent us in this industry. It's just been too much white privilege has refused to open the doors to other people. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Selena. The word to react is really great. And I think one plea is always one of the privileges of my job is I get to see the people who start the conversations and push for change in their local communities. They're often people whose projects I see in the AJ, and I never see their names or their involvement ever represented in the project is always the architect foregrounding their themselves in the discussion of a building, when we all know that often there are people like Doreen from Angel Town or Joy from the Royal Docs, or um, Liza from uh, Bark and Dagnum, Shujo Three Arts, or all these amazing people who drive change in their local communities to ultimately end up getting funding and then ultimately a pays for the architect and I think one thing that architects could do to bring more inclusivity is to make sure when you're writing those press releases you get quotes from the people who ultimately led to you winning work or ultimately led to you having a project because that conversation you'll learn a lot from and also the people who have those conversations will gain professional networks.
5: That's Can I, I respond just to, quickly Joseph? Yeah? So I mean, I agree with what's you know, I agree with what Selena was saying. You know, some some people said to me after I you know, did the interview with Merlin that the architects were why are you picking on architects? And I think I'll say a couple of things to that. I mean, firstly, I make the point that I think architects, out of all the disciplines in the built environment, are the most influential on in place. But what I'm not saying is they're the worst you know, they're poor, I think they're hypocritical, because a lot of the architects I speak to are incredibly, you know, all very liberal, they're all with the Guardian, but actually, their architectural practices don't reflect um the words that come out of their mouth, but the construction industry is even worse, as that says, and you know, I was speaking to um, black professionals in construction network, who I think we're going to appoint now to make sure that we can break the monopoly within that industry, which is predominated around kind of white men. So that we've got local black people and other people, uh, and, w- and as far as possible, a large percentage of women working on the construction site in Reading Water. But I'd also just, I agree with everything Zoe said as well, you know, and it partly comes back to the class point, you know, think you got you know everyone on this call knows better than i how expensive it is to go for architectural school if you go if you're going to go spend all of that money to go through architectural school and you come out at the end and you haven't got a decent enough salary to pay back your fees never mind just trying to rent in the private sector in london you know if you're somebody in the working classes you know are you going to be Pursuing that? Probably not.
13: Um,
2: I, I remember one of my friends who comes from a working class background, who was always asked by his local school to come and tell the students that they should study architecture, always said he felt a little bit guilty about encouraging working class kids into architecture. When he knew what they had in, in, them, in them, it was always a bit a struggle. They were always going to fall out to the old boys' network. And he had this, like, one hand, he really wanted to push people through the industry and to encourage people like him to go into it and on the other hand you always felt guilty for exposing like young people to that kind of these kind of experiences at the same time um so it is difficult tara would you like to jump in
14: um, yeah hopefully you can hear me um yeah thank you a lot of really great points have already been made and i feel like um, some of my points um have of been picked up um, but I maybe I'll just highlight it again, and I think it's this theme of competency, which I think is important to recognize in order to deconstruct and hopefully remove this link. And I say this in the context of the fact that only last week we had an architectural influencer write an essay highlighting the importance of experience, experience provided it is not at the expense of competence. Um, and it's important to that we that we decouple this link because Change can only come when we challenge um, these thought processes and we challenge these um, the people who bring up competency whenever we speak about ethnic diversity. Peter highlighted ex- um, earlier, for example, breaking up our packages into smaller values because they clearly did the work of recognizing the profile of many Black and Asian-led practices at the moment, which are smaller in size. This also speaks to a broader um, challenge in terms of larger practices who so called many, and you know, Jazz highlighted it earlier, Sarah highlighted it earlier, who called many Black and Asian led practices and asked them to lead on community engagement. And the question is always, you know, what makes you think I'm more qualified than you are to do this? Yes, there's lived experience, but I've also trained as an architect. We've also trained as urban designers, urban planners. Again, we've had practices who come in and it's sort of stark sort of contrast to other practices who come in and spend their time getting to know properly Black and Asian led practices, which makes it easier to say no to the other practices because they clearly have demonstrated they don't just want to be extractive and non collaborative. Um, and I think it just doesn't make sort of business sense. Clients, larger practices need to push pause, take stock, and do the work in getting to know these practices and collaborating with them for the long term. They might find they learn something, they might find that more value add um, is, is brought to the table than they expected. And they might find that their bottom line is, um, is increased as a result. It is worth doing the work. I don't think it's rocket science, as has been highlighted, um, but it is worth doing the, the work. And I wanted to highlight again the point of allyship. It's not something that goes away, and it's something that we need to keep on reiterating. So that was it. Thanks.
2: Okay, just for, uh, I realize it's three minutes to 10, which means that my timekeeping, which is one of the things I am supposed to be focusing on, is atrocious. And therefore, uh, but remarkably, there's 150 people still in the conversation. So I assume everyone is so scarred from working late in architecture education that they can take this late hour. Um, so I'm okay to keep going if anyone else is. My ice cube has melted. So what I'm gonna do is uh, bring uh, Marsha in because um, I think, I guess I'm interested in someone who's like, uh, I guess, a professional outsider from architecture, hearing mm. all these conversations. Um, and then just whether you think that is architecture a bigger nut to crack than journalism? Because I always wonder
13: no, is okay, it's... it's
4: not. <laughs> Only, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I'll, I'll be very honest, very open with you. Uh, you know, I came from an environment where I myself, uh, you know, we, we heard from, from Harry and Meghan, you know, this week, uh, and some of they are saying about being an institution, thinking about facing behaviours, ra- racist behaviours that, push you to a point where you want to take your own life that was me so i i'm not saying that that there's no way that journalism i mean you see you see you saw what the 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 editors um the newspaper editors society of editors said said, that that is the environment there is no sector in this country that i can think of that is immune from 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 these this discrimination structural institutional discrimination racism whatever kind of ism it is it exists that's why that's why you know twitter's gone mad over over this woman that's that, that was um, murdered because we all have those experience i mean i i i shared my experience this evening about how, you know being flashed out on the tube when i was a child you know it happened we all have it and this is the society in which we live is dominated by a patriarchy, which goes back millennia. We're, tr- we're trying to t- take apart systems um which which are really old. And we we and we it doesn't matter where you are in this country and you know, only white-led societies, this is what we have to face. And actually, globally, because when you look at the way that um, countries of colour are treated globally as well. So to try and pick this apart, like we're, we, we, You know, we're fighting fires and, and, and fanning around the edges here. We need to get to the people and and do that behaviour change piece to make sure that we can pull these things apart from the centre because otherwise we'll be still talking about this in 187 years' time.
2: Cheerio! <laughs> that's uh what a laugh that would be to, <laughs> to do that i'm not to like keep, keep going so yeah. that lot is isn't the last, oh. the last one. rob you have your hand up do you want to jump in
13: sorry no that wasn't a hand up that was just uh, uh, uh applauding uh, oh, okay applaud applauding applauding the idea that um uh we can't you know can't we can't repeat the next 187 years we
4: just can't we just can't we 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 have to look at doing things differently all the solutions all the issues that you guys have been talking about it's the same everywhere we have to look at taking a different approach which is not looking at outward is looking inwards and ensuring that everyone who, who who has this power looks inward and has a structure's the behavioral framework to move forward in a different way.
2: I guess my point was around the fact that in architecture, not only do you need to have money, you need to know people that also have money to build the buildings or do the projects that mm. we are we are commissioned to do. Mm. And therefore the people who have the amount of money privately to build are also from a specific class of which there are Black people are predominantly underrepresented. And I wonder whether like what that's, that, I guess there's a, there's a need for the public sector which is everyone's money everyone pays into the system actually in london people have kind of color disproportionately overpay into the tax system in mm. london which is interesting um and therefore i guess i don't know who this is aimed at uh, i guess peter in a way as a fellow client um this 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 idea of and i guess back to fees uh like what else proactively are like you doing in enfield in future phases that is going to excite us or challenge us or you know, make us um, like follow and evaluate. So I'm trying to end with some optimism. So all the questions from now on, are going to be like future facing. What are people doing is better than what we've what we've like unpicked earlier.
5: Well, I'll say a, a couple a couple of things on um, on that. I mean, I, I think what the what the client can be doing in in this regard is ensuring that. Firstly, when when we're kind of evaluating proposals from architects, that we give um, higher consideration to quality than price. Because problems do begin where local authorities or any private sector clients put a disproportionate weight in towards price, and that kind of can make the architectural practices feel that they've got to force down their, their fees. In in order to win um, work, what what we're also looking at, and it's a bigger, more complicated issue. But someone, I just want to respond to someone raising it in the chat. But just acknowledge that we understand and we're, we're we're trying to get right on this. And it's it's really not an exciting subject, which is insurance levels.
10: Mm-hmm.
5: But insurance levels are such a barrier to micro and SME practice being. Being able to win, work, and it's it's really hard work my end because we you know we got an insurance team, and the and guess what you know the insurance team is risk averse. You know you won't be surprised to hear that the, you know it's not in the interest of the insurance team to be anything other than risk averse. So you know it it's it is tricky, but we are looking to work with those in insurance in order to make sure. That the insurance levels are are more proportionate and are not a barrier because the insurance levels themselves, and I've made this point internally, are effectively um, discriminatory. Because if women and people of colour are more likely to lead micro and SME practices in which they are, and Therefore, your insurance levels are, dis- are pervated, creating barriers and actually the insurance levels in themselves are discriminatory. So optimistically, we are looking at, at those issues so that we kind of create b- better playing, a fairer playing field for those practices to be able to win work. Yeah,
2: professional identity insurance is the craziest thing in the world. It's unbelievably bonkers. Like In my other life, I work quite a lot on procurement and trying to solve these issues. And there was a project recently where the local authority made it explicit they wanted or would go into encourage courage. Practices led by people of color to apply. It was a 700,000 pound fit out and they wanted 5 million pounds of PI yeah. <laughs> to win the work. So obviously everyone who knew anything about anything went ballistic and we managed to lower it to, originally two million and then we managed to get down to one million and even then i thought that was a bit dear considering you know nothing on the project it would cost more than like 100 grand tops of like professional damage but anyway uh a thing marsh just emailed me or messaged me oh, saying she has to leave do you want to make a final word i guess we all kind of have to leave because it's 10 o'clock five ten past five uh, 10, uh five past ten um but uh, Marsha do you want to make do, well do look you guys
4: that? you know this is it, it, we're in the start of it well, as far as I'm concerned coming into this, this environment now we're in the start of a journey and we've got to believe that we're going to get there um, you know we, we we have to believe that there is a way forward that we can make progress and I'm going to do everything and you can believe that I'm going to do everything in my personal power to make that change that you all want to see and i'm going to need your help and i'm going to need your support um and um, i'm going to i'm going to try to make create as many allies as we can so that we can move move the sector forward but it's not going to happen overnight and i know we've already been so hurt and and disappointed and frustrated and our hands are bleeding from trying to bash down the door but change will come and i always like to think of martin luther king and he, he said, one of his, his quotes I always turn to when I think of the size of the problem at hand, he said, fly, if you can't fly, run, if you can't run, walk, if you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, you must keep moving forward. And that's what I intend to do.
2: Thank you so much uh for that excitement and also for all your um i feel like there's a I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be so bold to say that everyone on the panel but it is interesting having some of your optimism and ideas and knowledge in that in that, in that institution where many have stepped and i think uh i think i'd be encourage people who maybe have given up on institutional change from the inside to maybe give it one last go because i think there's some interesting uh well they are interesting we'll pluralize it Marsha's there So, and people like Sarah there on on the reps. And I think we can like collectively work with these people who are giving up a lot of time. I know Sarah probably gives up quite a lot of labor, of free time to do what she does to support them. I think that'll be really uh, a good outcome of this evening. So thank you so much, Marsha, um, for your contribution. And nice to meet you as well. Um, uh, What is everyone's views on time? Like, I need the toilet, I need to get a new ice cube. Does anybody want to take over from me for ten minutes, and uh, then if I come back and no one's here, then I can <laughs> wrap up for the evening? Or I don't well, know I think, what happens at this point, Rob and Bobby.
13: I think I think I think there comes a point where we, we we draw a close usually to the formal proceedings, and then we you know and I know I know some people have got to go, and then what we do is we um we just we just keep going, have an after party, and uh, <laughs> it becomes an open forum. You know for anyone that wants to talk and we can turn off all the mics whatever um stop so recording. yeah stop recording uh get 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 even looser um I, I don't know if maybe Hugh wants to um uh sort of tie up the loose ends
1: yeah i mean um i think if we uh maybe we do that that's the best course of action um and i think for on behalf of of us uh i want to thank you joseph that was superbly chaired I have to say with the way you surfed it between chat and speakers that was uh, one of the best and um I also want to thank everybody else who's contributed Jazz, Marsha, Peter and Sarah um very much appreciate your time and all your thoughts and your frankness um I think this has been one of our top ones and probably the longest it has to be said which is uh you pushed the envelope you pushed the boundaries in terms of length from the granny talk so we're That's all brilliant stuff. So uh, thanks and we'll open the mics. And yeah, stay if you want to.
0: Thanks for listening. For more on Negroni Talks, visit our website at www.fourthspace.co.uk where you can see all our past and upcoming events or find us and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Negroni Talks, mixing it in architecture. Thanks for listening. For more on Negroni Talks, visit our website at www.forthspace.co.uk, where you can see all our past and upcoming events or find us and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Negroni Talks, mixing it in architecture. Thanks for listening. For more on Negroni Talks, visit our website at www.forthspace.co.uk where you can see all our past and upcoming events or find us and subscribe to the show in iTunes. Negroni Talks, mixing it in architecture.